All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers, what the fuck buddies, what the fuck nicks? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast. Welcome to it. Uh, how are you? Are you all right? First of all, let me say that Bonnie Raitt is here. Yeah, Bonnie Raitt, the guitarist, amazing slide guitarist, singer, songwriter, just released her 18th studio record. She's got 10 Grammys and a Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award. Yeah, that one, that Bonnie Raitt. Her new album is called Just Like That. There's a couple of beauties on there. Just great. So uh, excited to talk to her. And by the way, she uh, tuned my guitar so I could try to play slide, which I will at the end of this broadcast. Just saying. By the way, I went to the 50th anniversary party of the Comedy Store last week, and um, I got jolted. And there was something from that. I don't... I can't explain it. Let me try to in a minute. Let me do this first. Terrytown, New York at the Terrytown Music Hall. I'll be there this Thursday, April 14th. I'll be in Providence, Rhode Island at the Columbus Theater Friday, April 15th, this Friday. I'll be in Boston at the Wilbur for two shows, uh, April 16th. That's this Saturday in Portland, Maine at the State Theater Sunday, April 17th. And then I'm flying to Moon Tower Comedy Festival in Austin, Texas. I'll be there Friday, April 22nd. I've got some shows coming up in Madison, Milwaukee, Chicago, Minneapolis, North Carolina. What? There's a DC. There's a lot more coming up. You can go to WTFpod.com slash tour for ticket links and other info on that. On the This May Be the Last Time Tour. So yeah, 50th anniversary of the Comedy Store. Now, look, a lot of you know my history. God knows I talk about it enough. A lot of you know that uh, I was a doorman there back when I was like 22 years old. After I graduated college, I came out here, uh, became a doorman at the comedy store. And like right when I walked into that place, I knew that my DNA, there was something genetic about the way I interfaced with that building and whatever it meant. I'd call it mystical. Why not? It was then, but I was psychotic from cocaine use. But it was a mystical connection. Always has been. I was there less than a year, and it never left me, and I never left it, and it knows that I was there, and it knows when I'm there, and it knows when I'm coming. I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about the building, whatever it is, the organic structure. I'm just saying I'm connected to the place, and I can't quite explain it. Now, I was a door guy there, and uh, the guys I would see on stage, a lot, of them, a lot of them you would never hear of. You never heard of, right? But I was... Look, I was a sort of boundaryless, poorly parented, untethered soul at 22. Had no real clear sense of self. All I knew is I wanted to be a comic. I knew I was kind of pissed off. I knew I was pretty intense. But other than that, I didn't know much. And I was kind of wandering emotionally, spiritually, physically. And I ended up at that place. And Mitzi Shore was uh, the kind of... uh, I, I, I hate to say that she was a maternal figure. She definitely was a matriarch. I'm not sure uh, she had my best interest uh, in mind, nor did the place, but it was a place to fight it out, that's for sure. But when I was there, I took to it, and I lived in that house behind the place, and many of you know those stories, and I used to go down to the store during the day and make my coffee and sit and listen to CDs in the original room as my personal stereo. But I just interfaced with that place, and the guys that I would see were guys doing what I wanted to do. 
All I knew about comedy and all I still know about comedy to some degree is that it's a way for people to make sense of things in a funny way and in a a compressed way that you get up there and you take on the world and it runs through you and it comes out funny. It comes out compact. It comes out poetic, comes out, out lyrical. However you do it, it's up to you. But you are a conduit of everything that comes through you and puts it back out into the world in a different way, a more compact or funny form. People, these guys made sense of things. These women made sense of things. And I sat there working the door, watching the likes of Charles Fleischer, watching the likes of Joey Kamen, watching the likes of Steve Odenkirk, watching the likes of Karen Babbitt, Jan Hart, Karen Haber, Kathy Ladman, Kippadada, Damon Wayans, Richard Belzer, Johnny Dark, Larry Scarano, Angel Salazar, Andrew Dice Clay, Nancy Redmond, Tamayo Otsuki, Sam Kennison. There were so many, right? You're going, who, who, who? Jeff Altman, Jeff Wayne, the guy with the guitar, Rick Wright. Yeah. A bizarre cast of characters from Jackson Purdue. They were all there. Mark Godier. What happened to that guy? Anyway, a lot of people you don't know, and I don't know what happened to them. My point is, these are the guys I was watching when I was running around as head doorman, jacked out of my mind on coke, trying to, you know, be cool, but just being electrified and connected and running from room to room to watch whoever. And just, you know, I had my attitudes. I had my judgments. I had, you know, I thought some of the guys and and some of the women were sad. I didn't know where they were going to go or it was ever going to work out or what were they doing up there? or Why am I not up there? A lot of the questions, but nonetheless, my entire mindset was just, I was an appendage of that place. I was uh, electrified by it and running around just as this little kind of hyper angry, poetic 22 year old coked up maniac but i was i was in it so now i'm there almost every night now when i'm in town and i'm working but my feelings about it are different it took me a long time to shake i mentioned carl lebold steve kravitz steve pearl todd lemish don barris sparky the guys i worked door with mitchell shane jay pope Rodney Blackman, Andy Volver, whatever. So I've been kind of dug into the place. And so now comes this uh, 50th anniversary. And I don't know who's going to show up, but I had to go. I wanted to go primarily for the food. I enjoy buffets. No, I wanted to go to see who showed up. And I got there and I'm just running around and it's packed out and there's a lot of people, but all the old timers, all the sort of, unknown old timers are there and i gotta be honest with you i don't know that joey Kamen has had somebody as excited as i was to see him respond the way i did to seeing him in a long time i was like oh my god joey Kamen! joey Kamen! are you kidding me same steve middleman steve middleman what i was just lit joey gainer what what's going on man Barry Sobel, not as excited, but nonetheless, glad you're still alive. This happened. I, I said this in this tone. Angel Salazar. Holy shit. I was lit up, man. And I was running around that place like I worked there as a doorman again. I felt like I needed to keep things going, keep things managed, keep things like keep things moving. 
but I saw all the Bruce baby man bomb who was before my time. But a lot of these cats knew how Ross Bennett was there. All of them. Great comics. Do the job, did the job, had the job. Don't know what a lot of them are doing now. Fritz Coleman, the weatherman who was a comic, came up to me, had nice things to say. Many of them had very nice things to say about WTF. Jimmy Walker was there and said that uh, I don't do interviews anymore because I did. I already did it with you. He said he's got new people coming. He says people that come to my shows are old. But every once in a while, it'll be five or six young people, and they'll come up to me and go, we heard you on Mark Maron's show and wanted to, you know, we were curious, and we came to see you. He said, that happens every few shows. So certainly what I'm doing here has had an impact, but I don't know that these guys know what kind of impact they had on me. I mean, I was it was, it was different than a high school reunion because I was so formative. It was such a formative time that year I spent coked out of my brain at that place watching these guys they're frozen in some sort of amber in my head i remember them well i remember all the stuff that they did on stage but none of the big guys came not many of the new big guys came jeselnik was there and it was so funny because i kept running up to him like saying things like do you want to meet joey Kamen? do you want to meet joey Kamen? fritz coleman is here you want to meet fritz coleman he's cracking up and neil brennan actually they, i saw him and kevin christie looking at me laughing and i'm like what and he said, it's really kind of amazing and, and endearing that you're, you're, you're actually excited to see these guys. I'm like, I am. And he's like, and there's no judgment. There isn't. Even Bill Kennison. Bill Kennison was there. And that's a little weird. You know, Sam was, uh, you know, that was, a, that was a lot. You know, Sam did not treat me that well, but he did for a while. There was, but he was an electric being. For better or for worse, that Kennison who really put the fucking screws to my head and blasted my brain out, both for good and bad. But seeing Bill, who, you know, was not, that whole crew was not the greatest bunch. And there's certainly reasons I could have for, you know, being uncomfortable. But I was just sort of like, I saw Bill and it just reminded me of Sam and there's a way that these guys, that weird preacher laugh they both have. And it was kind of like being visited by the ghost and it was kind of lit me up a little bit. I got to admit, it was very exciting. It was very exciting to see all the old timers that have got lost, you know, in the undertow of stand up. At one point, I saw one of the old guys and I'm like, I know that guy, but I'm not sure I remember his name, but I know him. What the fuck is his name? And I had to go into the hallway to find his picture on the wall from a million years ago to so so I would know his name and I could uh, be polite. I don't know, man. I guess some part of me still lives at that place. Obviously, I'm there all the fucking time. Happy 50th anniversary, Comedy Store. They're, have, they're bringing hors d'oeuvres around. You know, it's all Jewish themed. It's like uh, latkes and little knishes and little bagels and loxes. And uh, well, there's little pieces of like uh, little squares of pastrami sandwich. Pastrami sandwich with some uh, coleslaw on there. And I wanted to know where, you know, who was, where, where, where the meat was from, where the stuff was from. You know, what caterer it was from. And there was some woman, a young woman, uh, with a tray, and I said, "So wh- where?" And she had the tray of uh, the small pastrami sandwich pieces. I said, "Where's this from?" And she just looked at me and she says, "It's Jewish." And I, it was the best thing I heard all night. It's Jewish. I'm like, "What?" They told me it's Jewish, but what? What restaurant? What? What's the caterer? <laughs> it's Jewish. Very exciting. It was Jewish, apparently. So look. 
Talking to Bonnie Raitt was exciting because she's a great, great guitar player and a great singer, great singer, great songwriter. It was just a thrill. And it's like I got some of her old records. It's so funny. I, this is the other thing I want to tell you. What I've noticed, look, I don't, I'm not, I don't consider myself trendy, but like this vinyl craze, the buying vinyl thing, I've been doing that for a while. Like I started buying records again. And I think like a, a week or two after I started, everyone started buying them. I kind of started the vinyl thing. I'm pretty sure. Not positive, but it's my feeling. Like I, you know, no one was doing it when I started. But what I've learned about vinyl in particular, and not about like sort of like, you know, excited to buy a new record necessarily, but if, if I go to a record store, if I'm shopping for records somewhere and I'm there for over a half an hour, uh, almost 80% of the time while I'm there, somebody who looks exactly like me walks in to look for records give or take a, a color of pant or 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 color of shirt or type of shoe uh you know just just like to the point where they walk in and we look at each other and we're like oh uh yeah i i think i invented you did i invent you are you real it's just it's one of those things where you realize like maybe i don't know why i do things maybe i am just a puppet Maybe I, maybe my desires and my interests aren't my own. Maybe they're being mined and exploited and somehow or another I've met the other guy that ex has exactly my particular tastes. It's an awkward moment, but I did go like, what, do you, what are you getting? I was able to look at his records and realize that he was not me and uh, I was the better one. Yeah, that happens. So look, Bonnie Raitt, amazing. I, I can't tell you how excited I, I was to talk to her. Her new album, uh, Just Like That, is available wherever you get music. She's out on tour right now. You can go to bonnierate.com to see all her U.S. tour dates and get links to tickets. And this is me talking to the amazing Bonnie Raitt. You can move it close to you, like because it can talk right into it. You know, this like you're singing. So cool. Yeah. Did you have your place in Highland Park too? You had. Yeah, I had a garage, but it was a more cluttered garage. This is actually nicer. Like this one was, uh, you know, I had it redone. This is basically I had to make this garage into a house so it would be under permit. For your own group. Yeah. For, for well, shack. Well, yeah. Be, or either that. When I moved here, like the people who lived here had it made into like a room for one of their kids with the bathroom and everything, oh, but cool. it, they didn't do it on permit, so I got tagged right away. Oh my god. So I had to e either make it back into a garage. Or make it into a house. So I made it into a house. Fuck it. Nice, nice. Oh, so these, let me just tell you, this this relic business, the reason I think it's great is because it's not man, it's not assembly line. The per, the guy who did this, it's like a work of art. He had to make it like that into those Fantastic. specs of Fantastic. the old. Yeah, it's wild. I'm not really one for vintage or like, I got an old Les Paul Jr. that I like, but I don't know, man. I, I don't, I'm not no, a collector. No, I mean, I'm not, I mean, I happen to have the same guitar I've had all this time, but. Well, I, it's a Strat, I'm, right? Yeah. But I mean, if I had, if I lost, I don't want people to come and steal it, but if I had, if I had to replace them. Yeah. You know, they're, they're making right? new ones. Yeah, yeah. They sound great. Some of the, but some people go crazy. Everyone, there's know, all these know, rich know, people know, buying all these guitars, know, man. It pisses me off. I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> Teach his own, but I'd rather that they donate. It's the like, money. hey, Bonamassa, leave some of this stuff out there. We we all want to get cool gear, but uh, yeah. Am I close enough? Yeah, 
I think you're going to be all right. Okay. So look, right out of the gate, the title track of the new record is fucking devastating. Oh, I hope in a good way. Yeah, great way. I listened to it twice and cried. Oh. I, cried I cried twice. Wow. And that's, you wrote that. Yes, I did. Did you ever think that when you're like writing like Feeling of Falling that you would write that that song? That you know that you would write just, just like, like that. that? I you mean, know, I I have written in a third part. At one time, I wrote a song called yeah. "All at Once" yeah. in the either "Longing in Their Hearts" or "Luck of the Draw" yeah. from a third person point of view. Yeah, and I love singing "Angel from Montgomery" every night. And yeah, I, and I've mined my own personal life on so many songs that I've written over the last twenty sure. albums. So. I just knew I wanted to write in a third person, but I didn't know what I was going, what story I was going to do. And then I saw on the evening news that you know how they do a human interest yeah, story. Yeah, sure. They they had this, you know, we're going to we're going to follow a woman as she meets for the first time the man who received her son's heart. Yeah. And I went, wow, that's pretty compelling. Yeah. And I, then, you know, it was very emotional. And yeah. then he sits her down on the couch and they're visiting. Yeah. And he said, "Would you like to put your head on my chest?" Yeah. And hear your son's heart, and I lost it. Yeah. So that's when I decided to write a song about it, that. Like that song, because I'm like, it's weird because I don't, uh, like, I don't pay as, I'm like, I'm more of a, a, with blues and stuff, I'm more of a riff guy. And I, in lyrics, I got to really, like, they got to grab me. So I listened to it like three times, and I'm like, you know, I'm like, the first time I listened to it, I'm like, did I miss the beginning of the story? And then I go back and I listen to it again, and I'm like, oh my God, I'm, gonna, I'm starting to choke up a little bit. <laughs> It, well, I'm glad because it, it, it slayed me. I mean, I only sang it one time, and it was I could barely get the vocal out because it's really one take. I, yeah, well, I was playing it for the band, and they just played along so beautifully. Though that was the take. Yeah. So this is like it's been a while since you locked into just a band, right? No. Well, I mean, to play with my mom. on the well, record, we, but we play with each other since the middle, you know, early nineties. Oh, yeah. yeah, same yeah. guys and. And, um, you know, we just had to delay because of COVID. And right. a couple of years before that, we went extended our tour opening for James Taylor for a, a yeah. big arena tour across the states. I said, yeah, do you think I'm going to say no to that? So that was a blast. Yeah. And then, you know, nobody, I was going to make a record after that, but then yeah. COVID happened. So right. I had to wait for the vaccines to come in. So you, you opened for James? Yeah. Is yeah. that fun? It was a, you know, we've known each other. We all came up at the same time, you know, it, it, Jackson and James and John Prine and I. Yeah. And, uh, you know, James had already had a couple of albums out. And yeah, we he came out on my set, I came out on his. I, I interviewed him years ago and I was, I never know what to think of people because I have ideas about what people are like, but like, I didn't know that guy. And then like, you know, when I learned that like he had such a horrendous drug problem early on, I was sort of like, well, I'd probably get along with that yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, because you, you get you, you get weird ideas about it because uh, like you look at his audience, just, he's, he's probably just filled with nice old ladies at this point, right? But a lot of them are drug addicts. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's true. Yeah, well, <laughs> but he's like, uh, but he's like, uh, he does. He always sells out, and people love him. Yeah, those songs. That songbook is incredible. It is. And he's, right? he's just like what he seems like too on stage. Yeah, and off. He's yeah. the same guy. Yeah, I so, love him. Yeah, I, I was, uh, I was uh, amazed. I interviewed Jackson during COVID too. He got COVID, I think, at some he point. He did. Yeah, he did that love uh, comes together benefit that they just did again in March. Right. Yeah. New York, or I forget the name of That's it. That's the one you were supposed to do when I was I was emceeing. That's oh. where I met you, and you got sick. I wasn't. I, I've yeah, never you, been able to do that show because it was, I was so. Oh no, it was the Americana Music Americana Music yeah. Awards. I got sick. Right. Right. I did sound check. I know you did sound check, and I was excited. I, I was I like, know. You're I was do excited too. Angels from Montgomery. Rehearsed. I know. I know. Luckily, I got better in a couple of days, but I was so sorry to miss it. Were you? Wasn't that with John? Yeah. Were you supposed oh, to do yeah. it with John? Exactly. Oh. Yeah. 
It's too bad. I know, I know. But, you know, it was like a really bad flu. I had to go get, get it taken care of. Yeah. I was shaken. Yeah, it was like, it was, uh, I'm yeah. glad you're okay. So wait, so you and James and Jackson, where'd you grow up, here? Combination of New York and L.A., but mostly L.A. When my dad was on Broadway in Pajama Game in 1954 and 55. Really? And yeah, he's a big Broadway leading man. He's original uh, Billy Bigelow and Carousel. Oh, man. Yeah. So and, you're in the theater. Yeah, well, the Broadway theater. Anyway. Little girl in the theater. Yeah. <laughs> right? Were you backstage doing I that? I was backstage in Pajama Game. You know, he was, that was the next big hit he had. Yeah. And then, he, then they let him be in the movie with Doris Day, so we moved out in 56 or 57, and I was the here until I was 15. So, like, you know, 57 to 65, I was in L.A. At, at, what did you do at 15? Is that when you hit the road? <laughs> no, he got another Broadway show, so he was going to be on the road for a year uh, trying it out, and yeah. we, and I went away to the Quaker boarding school in Poughkeepsie, New York, for the last two years Is of high school. Is that where you were in the blues? <laughs> no, I learned about, I, I, like everybody else, I loved the Rolling Stones, and I loved yeah. Little Richard, yeah. and I loved... You know, Fats Domino and Ray yeah. Charles and the Isley Brothers. Sure, I always loved Motown and Stacksville yeah. and soul music. Always killed me. And to me, I don't see a big difference between the blues and R and B. No, it comes from there. Cropper yeah. just put out a record. Steve, cool. yeah, cool. Someone just gave it to me. I, I'm sure it's good. And guess what else? What? Ray Cooter and Taj Mahal just made it. I heard a it, dude. I can't wait to hear. I it. heard it. You are you are in the catbird seat, Mark. Well, no, man. You I get everything early. A little bit. I you mean, got, because they were pitching right. And you know, I talked to Taj. It was so funny. I talked to years ago. I talked to Taj and Kebmo together. Yeah, and, when they were on tour together. Right. And you know, the expression on Kebmo's face when Taj just kept talking, it was just sort of like all the time, man. This yeah. is what it's all, all the time. The guy, his, <laughs> he's like a national treasure. They should just turn the tape on. Yeah, just, with Taj. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I listened to that record. It's all Sonny Terry, Brian McGee songs. Can't wait. It's great. Can't wait. Because it's raw, man. Like, yeah. everyone's doing that raw thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, they're yeah. just letting those, the, the, the distortion. The stuff, yeah. It's, it sounds great. It sounds great. Those are great songs. Yeah. I just watched some uh, documentary on the plane of all the old blues guys. It was, I don't, I don't even know where they shot it. It was kind of a weird thing. Is Have, it the one in Europe? Yeah. American Folk Blues Festival. Right, where they, where they. That's the greatest footage that exists on the earth today from 62 to 66. Yeah. But it's a little weird that they like you know built these porch environments. And yeah, these that was weird. It was like white they, people I, are weird. They are. But I don't think they knew what they were doing. Where it's yeah. like, well, they have these amazing blues artists. Let's let's build a juke joint. Yeah, I know. It was the sixties, you know. But oh, yeah, I know. But it, like I watched it. They had it on the airplane for some reason. Now that is amazing. You can't barely. You can't get it streaming on the ground. I know. You can well, get it up in the air. Well, there's just some new service I think through Prime that they're they're doing just music documentaries, and they had that one. Oh, good. Because I had an old like. VHS of it. That's, That's the, yeah, did. me too. Right, me too. I don't have it in the new formats, which whatever that is is probably going back to. It's so like there's some stuff it's on there. Super eight will be next. And you got to work with Fred McDowell, right? Yeah, Fred oh McDowell, Muddy Waters, John Lee Hooker, all those guys, um, Big Mama Thornton. Yeah. You know, but man, Mississippi Fred McDowell, so incredible. What a groove on that slide, though, man. Yeah. It's so haunting. And it's mm -hmm. so specific. And yeah. you covered one of those tunes. What I was did. It? We were supposed to do it together on my second album. Uh, um, it was Write Me a Few of Your Lines in yeah. Kokomo Blues. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I opened for him at the Gaslight and, and toured with him. I was still in college, and I just loved him and loved the blues. It's and so good. I was. I said, I'm cheap. I'm just, I'll open for you. You know, you don't have to pay me anything. Just let me come and you know, hang with yeah. you. And because of my connection with the guy who managed him and rediscovered Sun House and he managed Buddy Guy oh, and yeah, Junior yeah. Wells, I got the, you know, talk about great position of being, I took a semester off from college just to hang out with those guys. That's, I can't, like, I can't even imagine it. 
Like it, it was like it must have been. So, but how do you start? So you're into stacks and Motown and everything. So what gets you to the blue? It's, it was interesting re-listening or listening to the first for the first time to some of this stuff, like your first few records. Because I don't know what you think, but there there is a point where, you know, your voice becomes full. Do you, you know, yeah, like, yeah. No, I was a little shrimp. Right? I couldn't stand the way I was. Well, like it was probably around sweet I forgiveness, was like smoking, right? Smoking, smoking, and drinking, trying to get my voice older, and yeah. you know, swag, right. swaggering like because I had this little soprano voice, you know. <laughs> and I and I was hanging out with all these older blues people, and I just said, "Man, this is I I I am such a wimp. I don't. I mean, I love folk music, but I gotta be authentic." Yeah. You know? And then by the time Sweet Forgiveness right. happened, I was kind of. 28, you know, you're cooked at 28. You're cooked, but... but 10 years a, on the road. It was a fullness, it. so it wasn't a raspiness. It was just coming from the place well, where... Well, thank you. I don't I don't go back and listen to those, but if you if you hear that and have heard it... You can it, hear it, the, 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 the switch. I thought but, I had to wait till I was 40 to, to like it. <laughs> no, no, you'll like it. So but, so you're doing... St- where, so where do you start playing the blues? How does oh, that happen? Oh, you know, I grew up... I went to summer camp in the Adirondacks while my dad was on tour yeah. in summer stock. And all the counselors were caught up in the folk craze of the late 50s, early 60s, and I oh, okay. idolized my counselors. So that's what we did was we played folk music. Like who? And John Baez and Odetta mm. and Stump Pete Ponies? Seeger. No, that's 10 years later. But Is it? Yeah. Oh. But, I mean, this was 59, 60, okay. 61 when yeah. I was a little kid. I, I got a guitar for Christmas at 9, and I yeah. taught myself to play. And then I heard on Joan Baez's Vanguard label was Blues at Newport 64 mm. and Brownie and Sonny, yeah. Mississippi John Hurt, yeah. John Lee Hooker, Reverend Gary Davis, right. John Hammond, Dave was, Van Rock. It was killer. Was, was that the one with uh, Skip James too? Or no? Yes, Skip James Oh James my too. God, they found that guy. Yeah. And they put him up there. What a haunting thing that oh was. Oh my God. I do one of his tunes in my shows. Which one? Uh, Devil Got My Woman. Oh yeah. Yeah, I love that song. And John Hammond. I talked to John Hammond. Isn't he great? That guy, I don't think he gets the credit he deserves. I completely agree. <laughs> He's the reason I got good on blues guitar was because I was hoping to meet and I hope he would fall in love with me oh, and yeah? run away with me. Did he? Uh, no? No, he was already married. <laughs> but we were a really good friend. <laughs> because like his story, like when I talk to him, he's not real willing to you know, to, to talk. You know, but it's just such an odd, heartbreaking tale that he's estranged from his father who signed Bob Dylan and everybody else. And then Dylan steals his fucking band. Early on, yes, yeah, like, but like his blues, I don't know why or how, but it's so authentic. It's so authentic, and the guy is like when the body language when he's on that stool playing the harmonica and yeah. playing the guitar, it was just incredible. I mean, to me, it's like as compelling as James Dean, you know. Oh yeah, for sure. I saw him open for the Staple Singers years. I mean, it, like I didn't see him when he was young, but it, it was just him on that guitar. I saw, you know, I saw him. I, my brother lived in Tucson. Went to college in Tucson. Cool, and I went to visit. Uh, my brother and the Tucson Blues Society was presenting John Hammond. I'm like, How? we got to go to that. Can we still get tickets? I swear to God, there was like 20 people there. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah, but it was in a small room. But he just it, and we were all just sort of standing. He inhabits there. the stuff, and he's been like that since he was a teenager. Wow. You know, I mean, people say, "How did you get like that?" Being the daughter of a Broadway singer, and I'd go, "How did you?" You know, I mean, he grew, imagine the legacy he grew up with all yes. this stuff. But he really soaked it up, man. He did. And when I looked at the back of that album, yeah, which one? When I was fourteen, Blues at Newport '64 mm-hmm. on Vanguard, and I saw that he was white. I went, wow, wow, yeah. And he mixed it up, like he did all kinds, of, like you, you know, he can do that acoustic blues thing. But then you know, you listen to Source Point. I oh. love Source Point. 
Don't you? Yes, I do. Southern Fried, I love. That's with Dwayne, right? Too Many Roads, I love them all. Too Many Roads, that's with the band. That's early. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. that's great. So, you, okay, so you're at camp listening to this. I'm and at you're camp like, and I, gotta, I was a Guess folky. someone get me a bottleneck slide. What? And I soaked the label off of a Coruscant bottle because I'd never seen anybody play. Oh. I just heard it said bottleneck. So a glass Coruscant so bottle? I used that, that was the closest. My parents didn't drink and I, yeah. that was the closest I could get. And yeah. I put it on my middle finger, which actually isn't the right finger. Right. But I didn't see anybody till I was already, I'd already learned how to play and taught myself all these Robert Johnson songs. So it's still on your middle finger? Yeah. (laughs) Because we used to flip the bird all the time in LA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like this. Yeah. That's exactly how you hold the bottle. Yeah. But you you keep it, you keep it on the original finger. Where do people usually put it on the pointer? Well, some people do the, the third, pinky. but the, this the, the ring finger and the pinky right, allows right, you right. to use your other fingers right. to, to you know to play mm. more stuff. Yeah, but you know whatever it works for me. So, what was the first slide stuff that you you know kind of picked up? Who was the one that that first moved you the most? Was it John? Um, yeah, but I I Robert Johnson came sure. that record came out when I was fifteen or sixteen. But I mean, Little Red Rooster was badass. Oh, the, totally, you know that slide playing. And pretty soon, One of the my old version. No, no, uh, the no, Stones. Oh, the Stone, that was the yeah. first time I'd ever heard slide guitar. But then the I heard the real guys. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. when you're 14 and 15, you don't have. I didn't, couldn't drive. Well, I didn't what, have any money. I couldn't go buy the. You know, it was either the, you're going to buy the new Beatles, yeah. the new Bob Dylan, the new Stones, yeah. or a blues record. Right. And it was really hard because you had four bucks sure. and that was it. <laughs> yeah, and this, that's what the Stones did for us, though. Yeah. They gave everybody the blues. Exactly. Like it's kind of astounding. And you know, even the Beatles cut a bunch of cool R and B songs. Yeah, and for the sure. Whole British invasion. They brought the blues to America. Chains. Whose song is that? Chains, my baby's got me. Because the Beatles did that. Yeah, I, think yeah, that's I don't know who song. did the original. It's great. I love that song. Yeah. So so that's how you got to it. But to me, the difference between right, you know, Ray Charles and R and old R and B and yeah. Lloyd Price yeah. and Brownie McGee and Sonny Terry, they weren't that different. They're just funky, nope. you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I you can hear all that through all the music. I yeah. mean, then at some point you kind of picked up some reggae thread. Yeah. A bit. Well, we all. I mean, I was going to school in Boston. I lived in Cambridge for six years. Where? What school? I went to Harvard and was majoring in African studies and social relations, and. You know, what Cambridge was, was against the, you know, there was 300 colleges yeah. all active against the war. I lived the there. War. I lived in Boston, yeah. And then, you know, the Club 47 closed my freshman year, which was a drag. But, what you know, was that? that? Club 47 yeah. was this iconic, like the Gaslight, really oh, oh, okay. amazing folk club in okay. Cambridge. Yeah. And But anyway, the Harder They Come came in and played the Central Square Theater yeah. for like two years, and I went nuts. Like for a reggae. midnight movie? Yeah, but it was on prime time. I mean, Always, they yeah. never they would people people wouldn't let it go. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I went nuts for Toots and the Maytals and Bob Marley. Yeah, I yeah. mean, the whole record and the movie itself. Yeah. And did you do a Toots song on this one? I did a Toots song that I was supposed to cut with him, but he passed away last year of COVID. Right. Yeah. Terrible. Well, or they didn't say it was COVID, but oh. it was respiratory. So right. But um, yeah, yeah, I, I did true did love. Gr- I did true love. Great it's song, hard great. to find on my record in '85, and then we became friends. Yeah. And he invited, you know, I did it on his reggae uh, a Grammy Award winning duets record called True Love, yeah. what he did with everybody. Yeah, and then we did another one called Premature. Uh huh. Do you still listen to reggae? I do. Huh. And I love Soweto music too. Oh yeah, yeah. A Indestructible beat of Soweto on Earthworks. Get yeah. out of here. Yeah, I listen. I just I uh, I did a short interview with Keith Richards like a week ago, and I asked him the same question. Yeah, Do you still listen to reggae? Oh man, got to do it. Yeah, I it, I I listened to some when I was younger, but it never became like a constant. For you, it did. 
Well, like soul music, there was a certain era that I really loved. There's a certain era of a Chicago blues, certain yeah, era yeah. of um, soul music that was really more, it's more vintage, what they call it now. Mm. The same thing with reggae and African music. Senegal it's, it's music. More, it's a lot of current music is much more dance, dance hall, sure. big bass drum and all that stuff. But some of that Senegalese stuff, I mean, you can yeah. hear that in Skip James. Yeah, absolutely. And and like and jo- Ali, Farka, Ali Farka Ture, yeah. and, you know, people always say that must be where John Lee Hooker got it. It was the other way around. Oh, really? I mean, you know, well, there's Arabic, the oh, Arabic goes scale. Back. It goes back. That, yeah, the, yeah. the slaves that were brought to the south, to the Delta, came yeah. from that western part of Africa. Yeah. And the reason why the drum is so significant in South America is because those guys came from the Congo where the drums are more you know, right. pervasive. In, in, in the music, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I taught, I, I listen to Tarin, that, Tar- yeah. like, that stuff. There's some young guys doing that. Yep. Modu, Ma- Modu Mokhtar, yeah, he can, he can do that stuff's great. I got to go to Mali for three weeks with the guys that that have that Afro pop worldwide. You know yeah. that that radio show on yeah. PRI. Uh-huh. They organize these travel safari kind of things where you get to go to the towns where the musicians yeah. you love are from, and they put on a big party, and you know you dance and see how oh, that. Nice. Yeah, oh man, it was killer. That's great. Yeah. So you're in college. In in Harvard and just playing for, for a, ho- a hobby, and I yeah. was yeah, I was just playing in my room. Playing just playing slide mostly. No, no, playing folk, folk music. You know, same mix of yeah, ballads yeah, yeah. like yeah. I did since I fell for you, which was a big hit when I was eleven. Yeah, and I did you know James Taylor songs. Yeah. I did an Elton John song. Then I did Robert Johnson and Sippy yeah. Wallace. So it was always a, a similar mix, but I I was. Uh, just playing for myself, and then I met Dick Waterman, and he managed all these legendary blues guys. In college, you met Yeah. Him. What was he doing there? Why he lives you meet him? in Cambridge. Oh. Yeah, a friend of mine said, you want to hear Sun House on the radio. Oh, was he the guy that went down and found him? Yeah. yeah. He, they found, I saw a three documentary guys. about that. Three guys. Yeah, Nick Pearls, Phil Spiro, and Dick. And then John Fahey on the other coast yeah. went and found Skip James, I think. Yeah, exactly. But, but those guys went upstate, and they found... Sun yeah. House. Like, they thought he was down south, right. and then he was a Pullman porter for twenty years in, in Rochester, New York. And then they put out Death Letter, right? Oh God, that's that album's crazy, unbelievable. So I got to meet. So my yeah. friend called me up and said, "Do you want to meet Sun House? Yeah. The guy who managed and rediscovered him is living in Cambridge, so right around the corner from where we were." Right. So that changed my life because that's how I met Fred McDowell and Skip James. And did they help, did they have Skip Pence too? Did they do Joseph Spence? Jo- he didn't Joseph, manage him. Joe Spence, yeah. I love Joseph Spence. That stuff's crazy. Yeah. I'm, uh, Skip Spence is the guy from Moby Grape. Joe, Joe, Pen- Joseph, Joe Spence. They Joseph should Spence. do a record together. Yeah. <laughs> I think they're both dead. But I got a couple of those old records. Like, what are they on? Our Hooli or something? Or Yeah, Joseph Spence is oh, killer. And Rye covered him a lot. Coming in on a wing and a prayer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, okay. So you meet this guy and he, and he hooks you up with these. You meet all these old blues dudes. So do you learn? What do you do? Well, like, I already make... knew their music, and I loved Sunhouse already, and I loved Fred McDowell yeah. already, so I just never thought I would meet them. Right. And then I hung out, and you know, I would get to go to blues festivals with Dick, and, and then I just started, took a semester off to hang out with these guys, because I knew they were up in age, and I, I they weren't going to live forever. Were you playing with them? No, I oh. just was, I was just hanging, hanging out, around. but my parents said, if you drop out of school for a semester, you're on your own. So I got a regular job. And Where then at? I, at the American Friends Service Committee. What's that? That's a Quaker social action arm, kind of like the oh, Peace Corps of the. So you're always like, were you majoring in stuff that you were going to engage yeah. your social social activism? activism? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, they, uh, I just, I saw a girl playing in a club in Philly where Dick had moved to, and I said, "Man, I could do this." What girl? 
I don't even remember her oh, name, really? but I said, you know, I'd yeah. rather be working in this club than yeah. working in the day and sure. walking a half hour to, in, a, in a skirt with pantyhose on. Right. And I and I auditioned and I got the gig. Yeah. Then I got another gig. And then Dick said, okay, I'm going to put you on a couple of shows with, with some of my acts. Yeah. And, you know, here I am playing with my heroes. And, and to answer to your question, did I learn from them, you know, watching them every night? Yeah. yeah who, who, were, who were you opening for? John Hammond. Oh, yeah. Fred McDowell. Oh, man. Then I opened for Cat Stevens and James Taylor. Those are pretty good guys. It's yeah. Very different. Yeah. But, like, to watch John Hammond, I mean, what tuning do you use? On open tunings? Yeah. Just open E or open A. Okay. I, I mean, open those two or else I go to G or D. What did Elmore use, E? You know, I don't know. I wonder. who. Uh, I think who, he used open E. Yeah, right. Yeah. I, I call it the dust my broom key, so exactly. it has to be Elmore it's, James. Right, exactly, right? So, but 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 John, like, you know, you're just picking up those riffs, you know? I mean, it's... By ear, yeah, because yeah. I just loved it. I mean, the slide just... It's people. Slide, I don't know anybody that doesn't don't, doesn't love slide. Your your slide sounds great, and it's, Thank it's you. specifically you. There's a lot of like show offs, you know, but you kind of like you do the. I got that slow thing. thing yeah, you know, yeah. I learned that from Lowell because I loved Little Feet so much, and I asked Lowell how he got that long sustain on his slide. Yeah, and he he said, "Here, here's this MXR compressor, <laughs> and that's the trick. That's it. You use it. You compress the sound and can go. That was the forever. trick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that got my. Well, that got that, my attention. So, so you're touring with these cats, you know, the old guys and and Cat Stevens, who at that time that must have been huge. That you was know. just one gig, but it was a big honor. Yeah. And you know, I was inexpensive. I carried my own guitar. I did a little blues, yeah. a little folk, a little pop. You know, yeah. And James. All right. So then, when do you, when do you come back here? L.A. I I or how was, long do you I, hit the road? For? I started playing these clubs, and then somehow there was like a little bidding war. People, I said, like, listen, I for really the first like, record for a deal. Yeah, I got. Okay. I went. I went to Warner Brothers and said, if you let me comp- have complete artistic control, yeah. I'll sign with you because I loved Ry Cooter and Randy and James were on there. Randy. So I uh, I did my first couple of records, and then on the third album, I wanted to work with Little Feet, and I moved to California. So it was after Little Feet's what first record. Second. The second record? That's when I met them what, during Sailing Shoes. And, you know, my friends in Boston were, there was already James Taylor, so the, yeah. my f- male singer-songwriter friends weren't going to get a deal because yeah. the record companies were going, oh, we already have James Taylor. We don't need another Boston right. folky. Right. Meanwhile, I wasn't even looking for a deal, and I get one. So <laughs> they were they were happy for me, but there was a little resentment. So I got tired of shoveling snow, so I came back out here. But you were hanging around with Lowell? Yeah, Lowell and Little Feet played on my third album, along with Taj and John Hall from Orleans. Oh, yeah. And Billy played on a bunch of my records. Billy who? Billy Payne, sorry. Oh, that, yeah, right, the, I'm, uh, from, I'm sorry, from Little Feet. That, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, Lowell George, like, he's another guy that is underappreciated. I oh, think. he's a god in a lot of the music world, though. Right, right, Guitar right. Guitar world. Yeah, but, like, he died so young. Yeah, 29. But they kept going forever. I think they still go. Yeah, well, funny thing about mortgages and kids, you know, you got to keep paying. But I mean, we once you'd love to do this, you're not you're not going to give up stand up, you know, because what would you do at night? You know, know, it's hard enough during COVID. What are you going to do? Talk to your comedy on a Zoom call? I don't think so. I can't do it. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm going out right now. I'm doing like a thing that I've never done before. And to me, it's kind of amazing. I'm just, I'm no opener. I'm just going out and doing two hours. An evening with. Basically. What the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I've I've done it before, but not confidently. You know, because like when, sometimes I'm like, I might need the buffer. I might need a camera. I know. And then you got to take the training wheels off. Exactly. Because Jackson started to do it. He he loves playing by himself, but he was wondering how it was going to be tonight. Oh, really? To do a whole evening with. Do you do them? 
I no. I but I mean I like sharing the tour with yeah, yeah. Mavis Staples and Lucinda Williams. Well, you know, I like standing the wings and watching my friends sure. and collaboring. You know, yeah. Mavis. So is it's great. a little Lucy, bit of well, both. Those two out of, the, out of all the women in the world, those two are the the best. Yeah, well, one of them's on the first third of the tour, and then Mavis is on the last two thirds. How's Lucinda doing? I think she's great. She good? Yeah, good. She's good. All right, good. I've talked to Mavis. She's always seems good. Oh, 83 and pumping it, man. She's so good. She, I love talking to her. All right, so you come out here and you're hanging out with Lowell. Do you, now are you hanging out with Randy too, or you just love Randy? I love Randy. I met him, um, but I he wasn't. He was living on Santa Monica side, and those of us in Laurel Canyon, it was like this. I mean, there's I've probably done six specials, BBC and documentary on Laurel oh, Canyon just now, in the seventies. Oh, in the last ten years, I mean, yeah. yeah well, the, the last twenty, British, Britain did it first, and then America caught up and said, "Let's do some. Let's do something about well, Laurel, Laurel Canyon, Canyon in the seventies. But it was, like you know, J.D. Souther and, and, well, Crosby and those guys, I think they were already in a higher oh, zip code than oh, that. Okay. They oh, really? already made a lot of money. Oh, okay. But, you know, at that time, the Eagles were just forming and Souther Tom Waits. Waits. Jackson. Isn't, didn't Waits sing on one of your albums? Yeah, he did. But and he toured. He was our opening act in 1975. I opened for Jackson on my first national tour in 74. Yeah. For my fourth album yeah. tour. Yeah. Then the next year, next year, I invited Tom and he rode on our tour bus with us. Oh. It was a blast. Wait, now what version of him was that? Like, uh, Well, he was still 75. He was like in a string tie and a suit. A shirt and a hat. You know, and... we'd pull into the town yeah. and he would go stay overnight in a... Sitting in the lobby, writing lyrics in a flop house, and kind of the <laughs> that was skid row thing. section yeah. of town, and then he'd show up for the bus ride to the next city, and he'd had whole bunches of paper full of lyrics. You know, <laughs> that was his thing. Yeah, and he would, would he was he just playing piano? He would just go out and play piano. He or? played piano, and he had a bassist and a drummer. Okay. Yeah. Huh. That must have been wild to see oh, him. Oh, he then. was great. Because he's he's, he's sort of one of those guys that kept going out there. You know, when I'm yeah. thinking about it, I think he was solo on that tour. Hmm. Must have been sold. Anyway, that was a, just on the piano. I have to check it out. Well, yeah. he's like as an artist, like to see that guy evolve and to see like that him shed that persona and then go into outer space or whether wherever How about he lives. The ballad of, of Earl, not Earl Scruggs. Oh yeah, Buster Scruggs. Buster Scruggs. Yeah. Oh, he's great in that. He's really great in it. He's great. He's a good actor. He's always he is. Good. You're a good actor too. I appreciate. I that. love Glow. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I love that too. I wish we could have made the last babes one. for days. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> So all right, so and you didn't even have to get slapped around on the. On no, no, not not at all. And and it was funny. The funniest thing about, about that me is too. like, yeah. Well, the funny, <laughs> the funny thing about that was like I knew all these like, you got to sign in the contract whether you're willing to do nudity or not. And I knew all the women were yeah they they're gonna say yes because it's you know it's it's gonna be part of the deal at some point. So I'm like I gotta say yes I guess. And I I just had to show my ass. I was okay. I was okay. I was okay with it. I did it. Though. That's fantastic. Out of respect for the ladies. That's I gotta, great. I'm going to show something. That's you know? really sweet. <laughs> so, all right. When these first few albums, like on the second album, you do a Sippy Wallace song. Even you, on the first, I did too. You did too? Yeah. And so you're really kind of like doing a blues thing. Right? Well, some of the record is blues. For no, I know. Sure. Like it mixes it up. But right? I didn't so. get a band, so for me, it was just acoustic guitar. So I had I had to play everything alone on my guitar, and sometimes I had a bass player. And, and then after I got Freebo, we were who out. is Freebo? Is he still around? Yeah, he's yeah. still around. He's a solo artist now. Okay. Yeah. Because he's like on all your records. He's on a he lot. He was of on them. the seventies. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
But like, were you were you also playing on other people's records? Like, was he part of that? I community? sang on Dixie Chicken with the little with Little Feet. I did um, eventually, great... eventually through the mid seventies. You know, John Prine and myself and Jackson and James, we all sang on each other's records. That but... Dixie Chicken groove is one of the great oh. grooves. You New, know? New Orleans, deep, man. deep, deep groove. It's a great song. Lowell turned everybody. I mean, Little Feet turned us on to New to Orleans. That? I mean, everybody heard. Working in a coal mine and, you know, mother-in-law sure. and all that stuff. I mean, there's iconic Frank uh, Fats Domino records. Yeah. But Little Feet revived a lot, turned people onto the meters. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And vice versa. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, but what was Oral Canyon when you were there? Who was hanging around? It wasn't just J.D. Well, Souther, was it? Well, no, it was um, Little Feet and me and... Um, Zappa? J- Ned Doheny. Zappa, but he didn't hang. He no. wasn't a partier. <laughs> right. Right. And you know the Eagles kind of soon, and Linda went out to Malibu because they were, they were, b- banking in the coin at that point. So, but is that after the Stone Ponies? Yeah, oh. Linda was the, was the biggest rock star in the country at that time. Yeah, because I, I got those Stone Pony records. They're kind of that interesting. was really early. Yeah, yeah, and it's like, uh, y- you know, she's the best thing about those records. Yeah, <laughs> she's a great singer. Great, great singer. How's she doing? She's good. Oh, She's good. good. Progressing kind of slow, that um, her condition, her Parkinson's. So yeah. She's still good. I see her a few times a year. Oh, She's, that's nice. Yeah. So that was her time. That was when she was like everywhere. I kind of remember that. Oh, man. That documentary about her is so fantastic. Like, what is it? 70, that James talking, Keach did it. 74, 73? What are we talking? Um, well, when you were out there. Oh. When, Laurel Canyon. Oh, I was there 73 yeah. till about... I don't know. I didn't. I moved up north in 90, 1990. I started hanging out up north. Okay. So when did, uh, like, so that was a party scene, obviously. But the Eagles, that was such a huge thing. So you were around yeah. when they broke? I was on the road like 10 months of the year, and I made six albums in seven, uh, seven albums in six years. So wow. one of those two things. So when the, Eagle, when the Eagles were huge, that was like a little later, right? 75, 76? Yeah. I, it's weird that they, it's it's funny, like a lot of people come back into fashion, but for some reason the Eagles don't. And I don't oh, know why. I just why. think they never went out of fashion. Everybody Maybe. Everybody loves their stuff. Well, I mean, it's like, it's almost like. I mean, it's like, like Sly Stone. If you, I mean, did you ever get tired of, of no, I know, Sly and the Fairy Stone? No, I know, Stone? but like, you know, like, but there are certain bands that the hipsters like. Oh, and, and then, and yeah, then, I don't have my finger on the pulse of who's Yeah, there. yeah, but like yeah. the Eagles, when you really look at their, their songbook, it's insane. Yeah. Insane. Yeah, I mean, there's icon. There's bands like U2 and the Police and the Eagles and yeah. you know. Yeah. I mean, and then there's James and Jackson that just keep doing great records for decades and decades and decades. So. Solid. And Randy, our friend. Randy. Randy, one of the greatest artists of all time. Underrated. So funny too. Needs to be. I mean, of course, he does great soundtracks too. But you know, he's oh, a I lot love... more to Randy than short people. You know. Oh, that, yeah. I mean, I had him in here. I talked to him for a couple hours once. Isn't he the greatest? I love him. I love him. I, and I actually, I reached out to his agent or somebody afterwards. I said, look, if he's ever lonely or needs someone to talk to, like, it's just like, I'm around. He's one of the funniest human beings so on the planet. And you covered Guilty on, I don't know. On Taking My Time. That's one of the best songs in the world. It is a great song. Great song. What is that? And if you're a druggie, yeah. you, the, the understanding of that song is so profound. Totally, was totally in my wheelhouse at that time. And I, I did another one that was about kind of like I need a drink, you know, uh, about that that dark night of the soul oh, yeah. kind of night called the glow. Oh, oh yeah, another yeah, yeah. great drinking song. On was that with the name? That was the record, right? Yeah. 
well, guilty that way. It takes a whole lot of medicine for me to pretend that I'm somebody else. It's yeah. like, oh my exactly. God. It's like, you know, you see, if you if you use, at that, you just feel seen and it's like, it's not great, right? Yeah. So when did you hit the wall? I just got heavy and wanted to lose some weight because I was going to work with Prince in the mid 80s. Yeah. And I went, you know, I got some trouble with my knee, so I had to stop running. I had a heartbreak of my a relationship and and somewhere in there, just before my tour opening for Stevie Ray yeah. Vaughan, Warner Brothers dumped me and T-Bone Burnett, Van Morrison, and Arlo Guthrie because we weren't bringing in the big coin. Wow. So I had to cancel the tour, they, put everybody they out of Van work. Van Morrison? Yeah. Well, you know, the big corporate people took over the little record companies. Yeah. Uh, you know, there was a consolidation in the 80s. Right. So Warner's was no longer just Warner Brothers right. with James and Ron yeah. and Randy, where yeah. they make their money from deep... Deep Purple and yeah. Black Sabbath, and then they subsidized Little Feet and Me. Right. Or Alan Toussaint and the Meters. We were all on there, and everybody loved the fact that we didn't have to crank out hit records. Right. We were album artists. Yeah. In for the long haul. Right. And then the corporations came, and Warner Electro Atlantic were consolidated, and the bean counters were looking at who was really, who had renegotiated their contract but wasn't bringing it in and worth it. And that was me and Van and some other people. Huh. So I was having a rough time in the middle 80s, and um, Prince called up and said, let's do some stuff together. I'll put you on Paisley Park. Wow, Prince. And I said, you know what? If we make a video together, I better drop some weight. So that's when I quit drinking was to lose weight, and I just loved it. I just went right to the hanging out with a bunch of musicians that had gotten sober. I went. I kept hearing these stories. They were. They looked better. They felt better. Well, they I mean, played so, better. So you you didn't have some massive bottom. No. Oh. I had a, I had a fat bottom. That was my. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I chunked up in the th the stuff you could get away with before. Yeah. You know, it, it, tequila and and not exercising does not sit well on you. And I had, and I was heartbroken and pissed off about being dropped. And my heart was broken, and I was just was trying that to numb it out. Marriage? No, no, I didn't get married till later. Oh, so that's somebody it, else. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, so in the mid '80s, and that you know the whole lurch to the right of the you know yeah. the country yeah, went on, yeah. and music had no place for roots artists like myself. So, and by the end of the decade, yeah. Tracy Chapman had a hit. Edie Brickell, yeah. Robert Cray, the Fabulous Thunderbirds. Yeah, Fabulous and Thunderbirds. And College Radio was rocking. Yeah. VH1, Blasters. VH1 started to play adults. Yeah. And I said, man, let's get a new record label and put out a record. And, and what happened with Nick Prince? Of, Nick of Time. Yeah. Um, well, it was a scheduling thing. By the time we got our schedules lined up, he had already recorded the songs in the wrong key with lyrics that didn't really fit me. Yeah. So we were going to meet together again in a few months, and I canceled my summer tour so I could work with him in July, and he forgot to call me and say he'd extended his European tour. Oh, so that was like just so, add, added more to the fire. Yeah, of. it was not great. But you were going to be on his label, and that just... I was going to maybe. I said, if we can oh. meet... We were going to meet in the oh, middle. Yeah. I oh, said, sorry. I don't want to make like, a Prince it. record, and yeah. you don't want to make a Bonnie Raitt record. So. Right, so... So I was looking forward to it, but I'll tell you what I got out of it. Lost weight, got sober, and I've been sober 35 you, years, so... Yeah, I mean, I'm coming up on... I guess this is, I mean, 23, so... I remember that, too. <laughs> yeah, and then we'll be able to remember a lot of it. So Stevie Ray, was he sober when you were working with him? When Stevie and I, we toured together in 86 in the summer, and he got sober right after, and I got sober after, not long after he did. Wow. So there was a string of us in our late 30s, and he was younger than us. He got way out there, but though. But he, he did. He bad. was playing. I, I didn't like playing messed up, yeah. and he could play pretty high. Yeah. 
And he is a monster. And you know what? Then I got, he came out of, he was still in rehab, and he came to watch our show in Atlanta. Yeah. And he was just freshly sober. Yeah. And I asked him if he wanted to sit in, and he was a little nervous. Yeah. But he just killed it. Really? And so that I, that's my last excuse. I said, okay, that's it. If he can do that sober. I'm going to do it. Yeah. I'm going to do it. I must have been wild to see him live. I can't even imagine. Oh, well, there's lots of footage of him. No, I know, but like but in my life, I I missed seeing Hendrix live. But yeah. I, you know, see him on every piece of footage I can find. Sure. And record, but Stevie Ray was in my lifetime. Lowell and Stevie Ray and Jimi Hendrix greatest. Sure, yeah. I like his brother. I like the way Jimmy plays. I yeah. like Jimmy. Like I, I love Jimmy Vaughn. We did yeah. a lot of touring together, and we've done a couple of really cute duets together. Oh yeah, yeah. He's like you know, he sounds like him. Yeah, you know he's, what I mean. He's a real original. Yeah. So all right. So after all this, that's when Nick of Time happens. Yeah. Ninth record or so. Tenth, ninth, ten- or tenth record. Was it the ninth? No, tenth. Tenth record. Yeah, new record label. You've been at it a long time. Yep, and I, down- it was already a good. You know, I met Don Was. We had a great time. I had a new lease with a new record label that had something to prove. We made a cheap record. What about what is it about Was? I've talked to him, you know, uh, and I like him. Isn't he great? He is. He's like a, a strange little savant of some kind of musical. Uh, like I don't know what it is because like I love that. Did you listen to that Stones Blue and Lonesome record? Yeah, that's crazy. That record. I know. I mean, I can't believe that record. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. And that's Don. Like, yeah, what, what is it about him? Well, I mean, it's them, you know what no, I mean? No, I know, but like, what, how, because you've worked with but, a lot of but producers. But he just, he just helps, yeah, but I produce myself, the, uh, most of the records, I'm I'm picking the songs and, right. and, you know, involved in the mix and how everything sounds. It's sure. not like I'm getting produced by no, somebody else. Ever? But, no, I've no. never had somebody no. like step, it was always like a collaboration. Okay, so. good. There was that one time when, on my fourth album, where my producer... Uh, put strings and horns on something yeah. after I left, uh-huh. and then he apologized later. It was really, oh. <laughs> anyway, um, but Don. other than that, Don is just a vibe guy, man. He's, he's really smart, yeah. really knows tons about a lot of different kinds of music, but he has the ability to distill what's great about an artist and get help them get out of their own way. Interesting. So he brings the essence of them yeah. out and is just a he's soft-spoken, mellow, yeah. great, yeah. non-egotistical guy, but really a good musician, yeah. really insightful. And, you know, that there's there's very few people with the vibe of Don was. So, like, he doesn't, you, you don't feel that he's guiding you or you don't feel that he no, sees? No, he's just another guy that's, uh-huh. you know, saying, hey, you may want to think of, you know, like. Does it happen on the board? In the, in the studio, well, that's engineering, right? Right, but, that, like, so does Don talk to you about, oh. like, you know, like a take or, like, you know, maybe. No, we I mean, you just go, we, it's a collaboration. Interesting. Go, I think we got it. What, yeah. do you, what do you think? I'll do it one more just for safety. You know, at, at that point, you're just partners. You know? Yeah, yeah. And then so... He's somebody with a perspective that's not in the room playing, so you just want one more opinion. Right. But you got to have somebody you really respect. So Nick of Time, like, you were ready, weren't you? (laughs) I was ready, yeah. (laughs) And I, you know, Hal Wilner Wilner got Don and I together to do this song for this Disney tribute album. I love that album. Didn't uh, Tom Waits and Los Lobos did it too, right? Yeah, no, Whistle While You Work. Yeah, that was Tom, right? And I think Los Lobos did the monkey song. Ooh, we want to be just like you. It's a great record. Poor Hal passed away. I know. Did you guys stay friends? Hadn't seen him in a long time, but I used to go on Letterman and see Sheila all the time. Oh, is that his wife? Yeah, Sheila Rogers was the booking person for Dave. Okay. For years and years. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. And so I would see Hal, but Hal and I, I mean, I loved those tribute records he did, and I loved him, and I loved, 
I, he loved NRBQ like I did. Uh huh. So so what did so what what did, what came out of you and how what came that's how you met Don? Or, yeah, he oh, said, okay. "How'd you like to do this song from Dumbo with Was Not Was?" And I love Was Not Was. <laughs> and Don was surprised I was a fan of his. Yeah. And I was completely surprised that he knew about me. Yeah. Because it's like a total different generation. Yeah. Well, that's nice. Yeah, it all so we out. hit it off, and I said, "Hey, man, I loved working w- with you. Would you ever consider working in the studio together? Yeah, like maybe you could produce my next record." And he said, "Let's make a record that's just what if you can sing the song and on just you and a guitar, yeah. you and a piano, and make it sound like one of your songs. Like nobody else could do this but you. Let's start with that stripped down and add the pieces we need. Oh wow! And that's, so that's one a- of the reasons. I mean, Nick of Time musically is not that different yeah. than my other records, but right. it just was a very. Um, I was a different person a couple right. years sober, and right. just the vibe in the room. Great, yeah. great engineer Ed Cherney, we lost last year. Mm. And he uh, had done Get Rhythm with Ry Cooter and El Rayo X with David Lindley's band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I went, I, Don, I got to tell you about this guy, Ed Cherney. I don't know him, but let's get him. Yeah. So, so it all, was the it mighty all came trio. Together. And my longtime rhythm section, Ricky Fatar and Hutch Hutchinson, and, and Don brought some guys. We had Ben Montent. We had Mark Goldenberg. Mm, good stuff. Randy Jacobs from Was Not Was. And but like you had had some you know pretty big records before that none didn't I you mean, do Runaway didn't you do yeah Runaway? but I mean that was like an, uh, only it's made it to the top twenty one radio. of my favorite songs but I Thank remember you. your version it's so good Thank you but I you know, at that point you know they weren't putting the records in the stores as much I, I didn't get a priority I thought they could have run with that a little bit more Yeah but um, Columbia tried to sneak me away because my contract was up and then Warner's matched it but that's where. It, they got pissed. They said, "Well, you know, if you're not going to make a big hit single, yeah. you're not worth the money we paid for you." Yeah. So, so, but now it's different, right? It seems like I have my own label for a reason, right? That's your label, Red yeah. Wing. Yeah. Oh, that makes so. That's I just realized the connection. Yeah, but you know the uh, yeah uh, John Prine did it first. Oh boy, yeah, records. Yeah, and then Jackson did it. Yeah, I know uh, John's guy was that. He's the guy that got reached out to me when I talked to John. Yeah, like all that stuff's on his own label. It's why not own your own stuff? Because when you realize after you've you know gone through this corporate mess that you do have an audience that's going to buy your records. Put them out yourself. Well, you re- definitely need to have a team uh, that can. You can. You have to be able to put together a team and afford them that can run the company. Yeah. You know that that together they're going right. to be able to call and you know find out about distribution and so delivery. Right. Know, sure. Keep track, but you know when you have hire your the own, right people. When you have your own label, they actually pick up the phone. Right. You know, or yeah. whatever the equivalent yeah, is. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but like you're in charge, but you you get the right people, and then you you can you're sort of overseeing the whole thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Radio play, record yeah. stores, everything. Great. Yeah. Yeah. So you had that run of a few records there where you got a bunch of Grammys. Yeah. And it was all very exciting. Yeah. And you were like, you were sober and you could enjoy the success. And thank God it happened at 40 instead of 20. I know. I mean, on the other hand, look how many people are really handling it. Unbelievable success yeah. with so much poise and to get great lawyers, great advice. I mean, Taylor Swift and, wow. you know, amazing. Have you worked with her? Have you met her? No, I haven't met her. Uh, but, you know, Adele. I mean, people huge, that people huge. that are huge, it's Ed like Sheeran, beyond. they're handling it really well. Even Billie Eilish. Yeah. Oh, she's great. Yeah. They're, I mean, yeah, I know, but There's I- There's not I, a whole lot of crash and burn going on these days. I know. What happened? Yeah. <laughs> I, I think we broke the mold. I guess. What now? What do you know about that? Because I listened to, um, I was listening to some of the selected stuff, and I love the fact that you covered that Richard Thompson song. Because oh, that Jimmy guy, of the Day! Oh my God! 
Where's that guy coming from? And he wrote that like Prine and Jackson in his early twenties. I mean, when he was with Fairport uh, Convention, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And is that on Legion Leaf? I left that alone. I think so. I left it alone for like twenty-five years because Linda did such a killer job of it. Yeah. Well, I mean, do have you worked with him? Because I. Oh yeah, we toured together a lot. Because like that guy, like uh, I interviewed him once, and you know he's he's kind of a, a, a wizard, and it's that's real... a good word for him. I never thought of it that way, but that's exactly the way to describe yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, and like I remember, I was doing a gig in uh, Ireland at the uh, the what's uh, Vicker Street at Vicker Street. I've played yeah, there lots. Sure. And he was there the night before me, and I got in the day before, all jet lagged and shit. And the guy who runs the place, he's like, "You want to come see Rich?" I'm like, "Yeah, just interviewed him." So I was able to go backstage and watch him do whatever the hell he does with a guitar. Unreal. What is that? I know. He's completely <laughs> his own zip code. Yeah. And he's got a great memoir. Yeah. Just came out. Yeah. Hyatt's is really good too, but Richard's is really wonderful. It's of the mostly of the early days of wanna, Fair, Fairport and all that. I got to read that Joe Boyd one. Oh, I didn't even know that was out. Well, no, it's been out for years. Oh, okay. Well, there you yeah, go. Yeah, like about that that crew, Nick that, Drake the, and, that, uh, yeah, and the, Pink uh, Floyd. String band. Yeah. yeah. What are those guys? What were they I, up to? I know. Did you remember those first couple I do. I, yes, I do. It was like, it was like, we're, like how many instruments are involved? Are yeah. they all playing at the same yeah, time? Exactly, exactly. It was crazy. So... Um, would, how do you feel about the records that came, you know, after that? Like, what was happening after, like, after... Luck of the Draw? Yeah. Nick and Longing in Their Hearts? Well, yeah. Um, and then I, did, I was really proud to do this two-hour movie that, you know, I partnered with Capital on, yeah. road-tested with Kim Wilson and Brian Adams and... Um, who else was What was there? that? Kim Wilson on Harp? I haven't seen him in a long time, man. I always and, thought he was one of the best. Oh, he's killer. He's still got the fabulous Thunderbirds. Right. Yeah, you know, they're still but, touring. So I did a live two-hour movie, double CD. Took a little break for the first time since that whole nick of time. Thing. Yeah. I was on the road for the full full Magilla, even before the Grammy nomination. And mm. it was just nonstop. Yeah. All of a sudden, all these other places around the world were, were interested in having me come and play. So yeah. I, I meant something ticket-wise so I could afford to bring my band. So I took a break and then decided after four records with Don and Ed to work with Mitchell Froome and Chad Blake. So I did some albums with them. Yeah. And then I started producing myself in the next decade. And it's always the same cycle where you... you prepare to make the record you make the record prep it to be book the tour that's about a year and a half process and then two years to tour and then yeah. you get a break and then you make another one so yeah. it's it's like a six-year cycle but this is it seems to be the first record um this one just like that that you are the sole producer no i did the last couple oh, you, oh the last couple like that yeah and wh- how do you choose like how do you what's your process of choosing because i mean on uh you did you did a cover of uh, Right Down the Line. Yeah, Jerry Rafferty as a reggae song. Yeah, and it's like what, it's such like how do you choose your covers? Like I mean, that's just what I do. I mean, one of, I may not be an original songwriter that's really prolific, but what I'm really proud of is finding chestnut songs and rearranging them, like I did with Runaway. And yeah, I mean, it's not a shtick that I have. I just love cover songs. So yeah, I've done Burning Down the House. I did In Excess's Need You Tonight on the last record, and uh, you know. I, I love. I did a T Birds tune on the live record with Which Kim. Oh. I believe I'm in love with you. Uh, uh, that's the one with the break. Yeah. Yeah. I believe I'm in love with you. Bam, 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 bam. You got. Hey man, Mark, you're <laughs> happening. <laughs> Have you had the blasters in here? 
Yeah, I talked to Dave. Well, I mean, but, but you were a little late. Those guys are after you, yeah, right? But I was still living in L.A. Remember Madame Wong's? Mm-hmm. Oh, man. No, but I love that whole rockabilly, you know, rock pile, the blasters. I love that whole retro Ray Campy. I love the Palomino. I love the music. What was the music connection? No. I don't the know. The one in the valley. I don't know. Oh, man, that was so good. But great. like Los Lobos, like I talked to Hildalgo, and I I think that band is like the most underrated band ever. Absolutely. I mean, and now they're sort of like, it seems like they're like, fuck it. You know, oh, but they're doing all kinds of cool little. They always do. Every, yeah. every record they make it mix it up a little bit. Yeah, it's all yeah. But they're they so. They did a great version of the Beach Boys' "Sail on Sailor." On the new one. Yeah. Yeah, they did all California numbers, yeah. and I loved it. And but like, they're such a tight band. Oh, they're incredible, Steve Berlin, Holy Toledo. And you work with. I the, did it. One of my favorite tracks I've ever cut is yeah. on a record. I did. I worked with Mitchell and Chad because of Kiko. Yeah. And uh, we did a few records together, and. I love the sonics of it. I wanted to mix it up after I did those records for Nick of Time, that whole run. Uh-huh. And um, I mean, there's a song that David sent me called Cure for Love that I did on that 97. No, I listened to that. Didn't that, he play bass on it or something? Or no? No, he just, no, he, he, just, played, he just played the guitar. Okay. Yeah, killer, killer. Oh. Yeah, he's such a sweet he is, yeah. pre- like presence and voice. Yeah. So what are you going to do? Are you going to tour? What are you going to do? Well, we start production rehearsals tomorrow. Really? And then I'm doing Ellen, Kimmel, and Kelly Clarkson three days in a row. And then we start in Rochester, like two days later. Rochester. Yeah, Rochester. We have an eight-month tour coming up from uh-huh. the U.S. And then next year we'll go to Australia and play Byron Bay and go to Europe and Oh, it's big, do man. All the, yeah, we usually do a two-year tour. We just had to postpone it because of this pesky little pen. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you're lucky you didn't get it. I uh, so, Yeah, we're in a bubble like a basketball team. Right. So I mean, this is testing, testing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The most yeah. action in our nose since the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you're going to do Kimmel, and you're going to do Ellen, and you're going to talk about this record. And Kelly Clarkson, too. And Clarkson's Good Morning America, and... All kinds well, of stuff. All you know, I've been doing you. press for five weeks now, so it's like you know I'm doing. And they're talking to Norway. And, yeah. Oh, really? You know, every hour is a different accent. <laughs> I have a for song radio. about recovery on this record that I wrote called uh, "Waiting for You to Blow." Waiting for you to blow. And uh, I, the guy in Germany is going, "I don't understand what you mean." He's like reading the lyrics to me. Riding shotgun, right? Riding yeah. shotgun, waiting for you to blow. It's all about the little devil going, "Come on." I yeah, I love that song. Thanks. Like I, yeah, and I, I knew it. Like because I can never tell. Like, is this about? Some bad relationship she's in. No, or it's is it about you. It's about you know waiting for you. There's a little devil on your shoulder yeah. going, "Come on, stay up an extra three hours. The, the Have relationship another piece with that of guy. cake." Yeah. Oh yeah. You know why don't you just lie about why you didn't return those emails? You know. <laughs> yeah. Co- collect a bunch of secrets and resentments. Exactly. Push to the limit. Yeah. I uh, yeah. expectations are resentments waiting to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Or, uh, the one I don't like is uh, you're only as uh, sick as your secrets. Yeah. Yes. I hate to say it, but that's probably pretty true. That's yeah, a rough one. <laughs> you know what I mean? You, you know, wanna... people are always saying, so how long have you been recovered? Yeah. As if it's finished. No, I know. I was reading the press on this, and she and it, it basically says uh, she recovered from, and I'm like, mm, nah, you never recover. You just keep going day to day. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's one of the reasons I wrote this. I wrote a song called Feeling of Falling. I miss that feeling of falling well, I know, over I the edge. That. Yeah. And then this one, Waiting for You to Blow, is just like that, you know, the last 
the last line is, you know, it's it looks funny. The lyrics are are, are sardonic, but like Mose and Randy, the and John Hyatt, they yeah. can write those serious topics, right? You know, but but you know, I let her lodge, I let her draw love close enough to see she really cares, but no way do they get inside in case there's no one there. Oof, yeah. So. Well, it seems that that. Uh, that uh, feeling of falling is um, uh, a nostalgic uh, thing, you know. Yeah. You, that, but th- this one is like, uh, uh, is Every, I need, a, I need a meeting. <laughs> exactly. I'm just waiting for you to blow. Come on, yeah, yeah. come yeah, on. Yeah. Let me make some phone calls. You know what I mean? Exactly. Um, well, all right. So you're going to tour with this band, these guys. That's all. The, it's, uh, the different guitar player, a guy from Boston named Duke Levine, and my old longtime guitar player, George Marnelli, who kind of wanted to take a break from the road after 50 years. I don't yeah. know why, but yeah. he's going to come out and be for like three weeks here, three weeks there. But basically, same rhythm section I've had for decades and decades. Ricky Fatar, one of the greatest drummers ever, yeah. and Hutch Hutchinson, my bass player since 1983, is brilliant. Now let's do just a and quick... a new keyboard player again, Glenn Patcha. Who the guy's with... on the record. That yeah. guy's great on he that B three, right? He? Yeah. Wow. I mean, you know, it's it, it's you know, you, when you hear that sound, you, you don't expect something new to be happening with it. But he kind of does some. I st- agree. He's very. Yeah. He's, he he was with a uh, Amy Helm in a band called Ola Bell, mm-hmm. and then Roseanne. He plays with Roseanne Cash and Ry Cooter. He did that Johnny Cash tribute tour that Rye and Roseanne did. I'm trying to get Rye in here. Oh, but good he doesn't. Want, he don't want to leave. He doesn't want. He doesn't go anywhere. You should go over there. I would. I don't know if he's afraid of COVID or if he's, you know, just doesn't do it. Yeah, I don't know. But what you have talk you to read him? his books? No. Oh, he's like written all these wonderful books. Uh, not a lot of what books. What are they about? What. You know, stories, he's back, this whole backstory about this lefty, you know, it's like a little cat. No. There's like some so they're interesting fiction. kind of, they're fiction, but historical fiction. Oh, interesting. But yeah, because like, you know, tongue he's- Tongue in cheek, too. I just, I, I have no sense of that guy. He and, doesn't care about promoting himself. Hmm. What do you think that's about? Is he bitter? I just think he's done. I'm not done like, <laughs> done making music, but the But music, done with trying to the sell music it. business. Yeah, I think yeah, he's yeah, never yeah, been yeah. into that. I just feel like he deserves like a like some like I don't know if I'm the guy to do it, but like a kind of life. life I agree. I'm, I'm trip. getting a lifetime achievement award next in a couple of weeks at the Grammys, and there yeah. they should give. I mean, Ry Cooter's the greatest guitar player that I've heard in this lifetime. Do you remember him from back in the day? Yeah, but I mean, I didn't hear about him till his first album. But not like but with Beefheart or anything. No, that was after that even. Ah. So you know he was. Um, he played in Taj's first band, The Rising Sun. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, um, you know, his first album, and Ran- he played all over Randy's album and Van Dyke Parks. Have you had him in there? No. <gasps> He's a fantastic interview. I, well, I got to get up to speed on him. I seem to have missed oh the Van Dyke God, Parks. What do got, I got to do? Well, try to find some uh, some YouTube on him, and you'll just you'll fall down that. Which rabbit record hole. is it? Well, I just think that Discovering America or Coming to America, not Coming to America, that's an Eddie Murphy yeah. movie, but Discovering America, I think it's called. Yeah, yeah. That's the one? Well, they're all great. He's so, yeah. Song Cycle, that's... Song yeah. Cycle, right, right. Yeah, there are certain people I miss or I don't quite wrap my head well, around. Well, you're a little bit younger and you didn't grow up in California, so... That's right. But I know that people love him and I know that he, like he's he's seen it all and, you know, he's done yeah. it all. Were you in bands when you were a teenager? No, that's the thing. Like, you know, I never had the confidence and I, and I never... I was never a complete nerd. Like, I never learned songs like i learned how to play like i can play blues and country. i can do a thing and i've been trying to i play out a bit now i finally at this age like vivino will play with me 
Nice. Now, I love Jimmy. Yeah, after years of showing me licks when I do Conan, you know, he I put together this little these two guys and I play at Largo and do comedy. <gasps> great. But like, and I told Vivino I was doing it and he's like, I'll play with you. And I'm like, what? Oh, that's great. So he's kind of in the band. So it's like, but this time we're going to do it on April 6th and he, he's out of town and he said, you're ready. Just go do a trio. I'm like, oh my God. That'll be great. Well, I got to figure out songs that I can do like yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, that's, that'll be great. I'm trying to, I, I'm trying to work out a, that John Lee Hooker tune. Uh, little wheel. Some some of the some of them do just weird little things with their guitar that it's not easy to figure out. Yeah. What was it like with him? Fantastic. I mean, we've known each other since '69, so by the time we did that duet together, yeah. you know, that was just such a great record. It was a good have. record, yeah. Oh yeah, but I he and I were on a lot of blues festivals together. But when we won that Grammy for the best blues duet. You know, we did tons yeah. of press and tons of specials that yeah. are now just available on YouTube now. There's like a tribute to his to him with Ry Cooter and Robert Cray, and there's a whole bunch of us at Madison Square Garden. It's so wild because, like, he's one of those guys where you just got to follow him. Yeah. Well, a lot of Delta <laughs> players, they don't go to the four at 12. You know, it's not a 12-bar blues. It, yeah, it's, an, it's, it's spontaneous. It's like, more jazz kind of just listen and follow. Yeah, I mean, I listen to that. You know, I love that uh, Hooker and Heat record oh. because of the talking. The talking on that record yeah. is hilarious. You yeah. must listen to all my records. That footage of him on that American Folk Blues thing. It's amazing. Is, is, it's staggering is what it is. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's like, it's devastating De- It is devastating. That's the thing. <laughs> I don't even know why. I don't think there's anything that you and I are going to do on this earth, this lifetime, that's going to, someone's going to say that was devastating. No. <laughs> I hope not anyway. <laughs> Because it'll mean the, the worst thing. That's right. So wait, before you go, so you're just playing the Strat? How many guitars no, you travel I have a, with? I have a, I, well, I have a purple cutaway custom metal national uh-huh. that Larry Pagrebo made for me, and he makes guitar for Jackson and Keb Moe and some some other people, So it's a, like a resonating guitar? It's like a resonator, but a cutaway and a longer uh-huh. neck, so I can put the capo on the five frets and get the octave, so I need okay. a longer neck. yeah. And it's got a couple of cool pickups in it, so yeah. you can make it acoustic or electric, and it'll mix the two, oh, but wow. with the resonator. Yeah. And then I have a, I always play a Guild F50, so I have a couple of those, one open tuning, one regular tuning. Yeah. And then I have three Strats, two are the um, signature Fender models that put my name on yeah. them, so I could raise money for Boys and Girls Clubs guitar programs. Oh, yeah. So I, I started a guitar program in 200 clubs around that's, the country. Well, that's great. That's like Wayne, Wayne Kramer, the guitar, yeah. the the jail, what do you, the jailhouse, what, you know, Kramer gets guitars into jails. And nice, so, yeah, nice. Yeah. So I have the, the Stratocasters, and each one is tuned like a half step down from the other, so I don't oh. have to waste time on stage. Retuning, right. yeah. So I got the Guilds, the Strats, and I got a great, beautiful L seventy five Gibson nineteen fifty six. That's an acoustic, electric jazz, L seventy five jazz guitar with a like a sharp cutaway. Yeah. Oh yeah, I know that guitar. It's beautiful. Oh, you great. know your stuff. So I don't. I'm not too much of a nerd. I can kind of picture certain yeah. things. And also, what about the last song on this new record? What 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 was that involved with? Uh, with Down the, the hall. Cr- yeah. What's the story on that? It looks well, like, like there's the a backstory. Well, like the title song, they're both third-person stories about things that I saw in the world that just moved me so much I had to write a song about it. Yeah. This, this, there was a New York Times Sunday Magazine article in 1919, listen to me, May 18th, 2000, um, is it 2018? Maybe, yeah. yeah. And um, it was about a prison hospice program in Vacaville, California. Yeah. Beautiful essay, interviews, gorgeous photographs uh-huh. about these prisoners that volunteer to be on the hospice ward and be with people when they pass away. Yeah. 
Oof. And I just was so incredibly moved by the story that I wanted to write a song, and I just made up a character, and as if, you know, he was just out of the compassion in his heart. You know, he's in there, and he's all bittered and broken up. And yeah. you can imagine what it's like to go uh, as intimidated as you are uh, by all the, the uh, strata of prison tribal segregation, like, don't go over there, yeah, oh, my yeah. God, don't mess with that guy. Yeah. And then at the end of their lives, they're all the same on this hospice ward, and that's what the song's about is redemption. Oh, wow. I tell you, you know, those two songs on, on this record, you know, I mean, the whole record's good, but like, just like that, and then that last one, the walk, what is it, down, down the, the hall. hall? I mean, it's like, you know, it's very, like, your songwriting capacity emotionally is grown so much. Thank you. I mean, it feel and, you know, losing John, you know, like that. And, you know, it feels like they're they're almost like, a, a, I don't know, you know, what you gleaned from him. But, you know, there's there's you have. It, oh, I mean, singing angel from every night and just this is how that much kind of, these how are that much kind of songs. Meant, and that's what, you know, I had already knew that I was going to make a story song yeah. in the finger picking style even before COVID and before yeah. John passed away. But I wrote the lyrics in 2019, but I put the music on it right before the recording last summer. Mm. And I had John in my heart the whole time. Yeah, I could feel it. Great talking to you. Mark, it was a pleasure to be here. I'm yeah. a big fan. That is it. She tuned my guitar for me, and I'm going to play it for you. The new album is uh, just like that. Get it wherever you get music. She's out on tour. You can go to uh, bonnierate.com. You can go to wtfpod.com slash tour to see where I'm going to be playing. Now, I'm not a slide player, but she tuned the guitar. So here I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play it. And Derek Trucks gave me this slide, so maybe just by virtue of those two things, it'll sound like something. Monkey and LaFonda, cat angels everywhere.